Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Solving a murder is a monumental task for the investigators involved. There's evidence to collect and always a long list of subjects just for starters. But what do you do in a case when you can't even identify the victim? That was the case for investigators in Lyon County, Iowa in 1978. For decades, their Jane Doe remained unidentified, making their job insurmountable. Finally, after decades, they were able to identify the victim. This week, I'll talk about the murder of Wilma June Nissen. Normally for the podcast, I have a long list of potential cases that I want to cover. And in addition, I have a list of suggestions from listeners and friends. But this time it was different. I'm not on Twitter a lot, but one day I was, and I saw a heartbreaking tweet by at Chrissy. 0356763 It read If you cover true crime, unsolved murders, and or cold cases, please consider sharing my biological mother's murder cold case. Her name was Wilma June Nissen and her body was found mutilated and severely decomposed in a rural roadside ditch in northwest Iowa in 1978. Reading that tweet just gutted me. Of course, I retweeted it because I follow other true crime podcasters who follow back and they might give the case some attention. 
And then I decided to contact Chrissy to see if I could cover her mother's case. Chrissy was adopted and she didn't know her mother at all. She told me she didn't even know her mother's name until she was 12. Her adopted parents kept her sheltered from everything, which is very understandable. And sadly, even her birth father, whom she met when she was 17, didn't even divulge that much information. And despite what little she knew, Chrissy had the courage and the desire to want to know more about her birth mother. That would lead her down a road to finding out about her mother's sad past and ultimately her unfortunate death. To tell the story, I think it's best to start at the crime scene. On October 4th, 1978, a man working for the telephone company was installing cable, and this is near 190th Street and Cherry Avenue in Lyon County, Iowa. And that's when he noticed something odd in a ditch. It was a human body. This was just less than a couple of miles from the West Lyon School. Decomposition had set in and made recognition almost impossible other than to tell that it was a woman. She'd been found face down in a ditch only 20 feet from the gravel road. She was wearing pants, white go-go boots, and was naked from the waist up. Worse still, her lower jaw was completely gone, and all that remained were two teeth, making dental recognition impossible. I read in a couple of articles that her teeth had been knocked out. Investigators suspected that the woman's body had been dumped there, possibly around July or August. And even though they searched this area with a fine-tooth comb, they couldn't recover any of her missing teeth or any other evidence. Pretty much all they had to go on was the woman's body and a length of braided hemp road that was tied around her feet. Lyon County Sheriff Blythe Blumendahl believes that the woman was murdered somewhere else and that her body was left in the ditch. And he bases all this on the position of her body. He thinks that the rope was used to drag her into the ditch with a car. He said in the Sioux City Journal, That's why her arms come forward, her hands are forward, and her hair is forward. The body is being dragged by the feet into the ditch. To me, it's an obvious sign that the body is deceased, being dragged face down. Now, according to the article, the victim's pants and underwear were found wrapped around her leg. So that probably means there was either a sexual assault or she was involved in some kind of sex act. In addition, the autopsy concluded that her elbow and cervical vertebrae were dislocated, and that's possibly occurring post-mortem. However, Blumendahl thinks the injuries occurred when the victim fought with her killer. And this is because DNA was found underneath her fingernails. Yes, DNA. I know what you're saying. DNA is very promising to find in a current murder case, but... This was back in 1978, and of course back then we didn't have the technology to use a great find like that. At this point, they couldn't even identify the victim, and there was nothing found like a driver's license or an ID, and due to the missing teeth, that ruled out the dental records. So what the investigators did have was an awful, horrifying reality. This woman endured some violent death and then was possibly drugged and dumped by the side of the road. We have a hard time as humans dealing with any form of death. Now here's a woman who was forced to suffer before and during her death. And I think the worst part is how her body was just left in a ditch as if she was garbage. This is a human being. She was once a living woman. She was breathing, interacting with others. 
She was someone's daughter, friend, and now we know mother, and she didn't even get the dignity of her proper placement. After all her suffering, she was found in a ditch. So I wanted to get that cross, the atrocity of her death. This was what Chrissy would eventually find out about her birth mother, and that's something no one should ever have to find out about. Can you even imagine that? I mean, just as an outside observer, I felt such anger at what someone did to this woman. And then I felt sadness at what she had suffered and the fact that initially no one even knew who she was. And that's what the people of Lyon County had to have also felt. So Lyon County, Iowa is, according to Wikipedia, the most northwesterly county of the state. As of 2010, the population was around 11,000. Back in 1970, it would have been a little over 13,000. I had a hard time finding out, of course, what it was really like until I went on the Reddit. One person described it as a very conservative part of Iowa. They said it was a type of place where businesses aren't open on Sunday because you shouldn't be working on the Lord's Day of Rest, outsiders aren't welcome, and there are lots and lots of secrets. So they had two mysteries, the mystery of her life and of her death. For now, she would be known as Jane Doe, five foot four to five foot six, approximately 100 pounds, light brown to blonde hair, 16 inches in length, roughly 20 to 30 years old. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Now, authorities at the time wondered if their Jane Doe case was related to the case of two missing girls in Vermilion, South Dakota. This is in 1971. So about an hour and a half from Lyon County, Pamela Jackson and Cheryl Miller, both 17, were last seen heading to a party in a 1960s Studebaker Lark on May 29th. Now, police weren't sure if they were runaways at first, but years after their disappearance, they assumed foul play was involved. The young women weren't found, get this, until September 23rd, 2013. That's when a passerby noticed the end of the Studebaker barely breaking the surface of Brule Creek. This appears to have been just an accident. The theory is that a newly built bridge threw the girls off when they were driving, 
and it caused them to crash. And I can only assume that the car was so deeply submerged that it was hard to see. It wasn't until January 31st, 2006, when Lyon County's Jane Doe was finally identified. Fingerprints that were taken were matched to a print card at Los Angeles Police Department. She was finally identified as Wilma June Nissen. Now, I'm not sure why it took so long. All the info I could find said a Des Moines laboratory technician made the match. But all that really mattered was Jane Doe had a real identity. Wilma June Nissen had an extremely sad upbringing. She was born in San Francisco, California in 1954 to June Eva and Charles Clarence Nissen. When she was only eight years old, her mother abandoned Wilma and her younger sister Mona, who was deaf and not able to speak. Both girls hung from June's leg as she left, begging her not to go. That left the young girls alone with their father, who was very abusive. Charles never sent the girls to school, and while he was away at work, he locked them both in a bedroom closet. This neglect contributed to Wilma not being able to read or write. And I also wonder if it's why her younger sister wasn't able to speak or sign. I'm not sure what Charles did for a living, but according to an article on Medium.com, he lost his job, and that caused the family to live in their car. When Charles looked for work, Wilma searched the streets for food, and Mona was left reportedly in the trunk of the car. But finally, in 1964, the girls were removed from the care, or lack of, from their father, and they were placed in foster care. Wilma was placed with Maxine and Marshall Holton, Anaheim, California. Despite all that she'd went through, they said she was a very bubbly child and she was a very quick learner. They treated her as one of their own and finally giving her the love that she deserved. The Holts taught her to read and write and that enabled her to finally reach the first grade. Unfortunately, as it goes with foster care, she was only there a couple years. Apparently, Maxine suffered from very bad rheumatoid arthritis, and that caused the couple to give up care for Wilma and, I guess, they had two other children. But apparently, they still stayed in touch, getting together once or twice a year. In 1966, she was placed with Vince and Alice Haas, and then her past isn't so well recorded. I read in the Sioux City Journal that Mona was placed in foster care and reportedly still lives in California. So, like I said, Wilma's timeline is a bit murky from that point on. She did get married in 1973 to a guy named Donald Eugene Wellington. That marriage didn't work out, and she got remarried in 1974 to Michael Palazzo. And then on May 10, 1974, she gave birth to Michael Palazzo Jr. According to the article on Medium.com, around 1974, Wilma got involved in sex work as a means of survival. Now, there are reports that she was arrested several times for prostitution while married to Donald Wellington. I'm hesitant to add all this, but the fact is that sometimes that happens. If you're a young woman and you're struggling on your own, this is a means to an end, a way to take care of yourself. You know, some women choose this path most out of necessity. So until you walk a mile in someone's shoes, don't judge. Wilma was known for wearing her white go-go boots, earning her the nickname Boots, while hitchhiking her way around. She married again to Robert Irwin on June 21st, 1977 in Bellflower, California. And then on August 18th, 1977, she gave birth to Crystal Joy Irvin, known as Chrissy. Shortly after Chrissy's birth, investigators believe Wilma left and she went to live in a camper in San Diego. 
and that's where she met Charles Edmund Belt. Now, sadly, both Chrissy and Michael Jr. were taken and placed in foster homes. The bright side of this is that Chrissy was placed with Vincent Alice Haas, Wilma's former foster parents. That made me really happy when I found that out. Out of all the sadness, something good did come about. And from the way Chrissy talks, it sounds like the Hosses were good parents. Sadly, she doesn't know what became of Michael Jr. When Wilma left Robert, she found herself with this 54-year-old Charles Edmund Belt. The couple then moved to Atlanta, Georgia to live with his mother, Juanita. And then just a few days after that move, Wilma left and went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota by herself. Now, Charles claims to have never heard from her again after she left. He thought she went back to San Diego. Police believe that she worked as an escort for private parties in Sioux Falls and Lyon County. There was allegedly an escort service operating out of Sioux Falls, but I'll get into that a bit more later. And then in 1978, the body of Wilma June Nissen was found in a ditch near Rock Rapids, and she remained a Jane Doe until 2006. Wilma's past didn't open up any leads until August of 2009, when 82-year-old John Van Gameren was charged with six counts of perjury. And this was after lying to detectives about sex trafficking strippers and sex workers from Sioux Falls to his home in Inwood, Iowa. In an article I found in the Daily Globe News, Van Gameren was charged in a couple of cases that were shady. In one, he lied about arranging a stripper for a bachelor party. In the other, he claimed his wallet was stolen but it was actually taken by a sex worker. He denied transporting women to his residence. However, all the charges were dismissed. The arrest for these charges came about when authorities questioned the man about Wilma's disappearance and murder. She was found within five miles of his home. And in mentioning Van Gameren, I found an odd fact on websleuths.com. In an article they had posted there, the reporter spoke to Carol and Bill Van Gameren, who lived about three-quarters of a mile since 1973, and this is from where Wilma's body was found. Carol Van Gameren said, I think the police stopped here to see if we had heard anything that night. We hadn't. I'm just glad they found out who she is. And then she went on to say, I don't know if we'd know her, I imagine we don't because we would have heard if someone we knew was missing. So, okay, I'm sure you're thinking what I'm thinking. These people have to be related to John Van Gameren in some kind of way. That's a very odd last name in a very small area. I wonder what the relation is and if they knew about John's involvement in sex trafficking. I found that whole thing to be very odd. The article was also before the young girls in Vermilion were found because the article was speculating as to whether their disappearance was related to Wilma's or not. In 2007, there was an attempt to exhume Wilma's body to obtain more possible DNA evidence. Sheriff Blumendahl said he hoped it would be the key that they needed. As he said in an article by Dolly A. Butts, Wilma was a human being and deserves to be handled that way, and not just in life but now in death. Wilma deserves an end to this, and I'm going to give that to her. Since being elected sheriff in 2001, he became determined to solve the cold case. He admitted that a day didn't go by when he didn't think about it, and it got to the point where he felt like he knew her. But the exhumation was frustrating since it was discovered that water had filled the coffin. Chrissy was the only one allowed to be present, standing under a blue and white umbrella, having traveled from Kansas City, Missouri overnight. 
this was another crazy, infuriating turn in an already hard-to-solve case. However, Blumendahl was doing everything in his ability to move the case forward. He'd submitted Wilma's info into VICAP, the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. He also implemented the help of an FBI profiler. And working with the profiler is what actually caused him to get the exhumation done. Her pants and underwear were previously tested for blood and semen, but technicians could not get any results. Then, on May 2nd, 2016, Lyon County Chief Deputy Jerry Berkey announced a new development. Police released a photo of a woman they believe is involved and or responsible for Wilma's death in 1978. He was quoted as saying, Our suspect was an escort, a prostitute, a dancer, who liked to rob other escorts, prostitutes, and dancers. The woman is known only by her stage name, Peaches. She's described as a light-complected black female from Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada, who was in her mid to late 20s and late 1970s. Around the time of Wilma's death, both women were thought to have been working at the sex parties around Sioux Falls and Lyon County that I mentioned before. It's thought that Wilma was killed at one of these parties. In another article I read on NorthwestIowa.com, they referred to this mystery woman as Sugar. The service the women worked for used the names Playgirls and sometimes Playmates. And when investigators approached people who reportedly attended these parties, they said they got very defensive. But they wanted to just get across to them that they didn't suspect them but instead were looking to find out more about sugar, peaches. The partiers were a mix of locals and out-of-towners, and according to this article, the investigators knew the identity of the mystery woman, but are awaiting someone to independently identify her. Therefore, it's crucial for witnesses to come forward. The theory is that Wilma was murdered at one of these parties and then left at the location where she was found. Their suspect is well known for robbing other women that she worked with. They believe that this woman wanted to rob Wilma out of the money that she made at one of these parties in 1978. And in addition, they believe that someone worked in conjunction with this mystery woman. So in this article, they identify another dancer who went by the name of Peaches. So it was confusing to me. Apparently, there's Two women, Sugar and Peaches. Peaches is the black female from Canada, and she's the one that they don't know the identity of, and Sugar is apparently the one that they know. The women were both accused of robbing fellow dancers around this time. And if I had to link this all together, I would guess that Van Gameron was behind the parties, and the women possibly worked for him, But this is just my speculation. Another roadblock is that many of the people involved in the case have since passed away. I believe Van Gameron is dead, as well as Wilma's former husbands, Michael and Donald. Both of her parents passed away, June in 2003 and Charles in 1986. So the longer the case goes cold, the harder it is to solve. There is still a $10,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of those responsible for Wilma's murder. If you have any information, you can call the Lyons County Sheriff's Office. There's a couple of numbers, 
712-472-8311 or 712-472-8300. Or if you want to remain anonymous, there is a hotline at 712-472-8334. And that was the case of Wilma June Nissen. Please, if you have any information, any information at all, please come forward. It's been so many years since her death that now is the time. Her daughter deserves answers and some justice for her birth mother. And plus, Wilma deserves that. This was a young woman who led a very sad life and ultimately had an even sadder death that she did not deserve. Her daughter needs those answers. Parents are a part of who we are. To not know everything about them is a very frustrating thing. It kind of makes you feel like a part of you is missing. And plus, to never get to know your real mother because she was murdered is the most unfair part. So for Chrissy, please come forward with any information. Remember, you can remain anonymous. Any information can help investigators get on the right track. I want to thank Chrissy for sharing her mother's story and for helping me out with articles and questions I had while putting it together. I'm sure it's not easy to do that. It takes a hell of a lot of strength to do what she's doing. So I urge you to follow her on Twitter to get the full impact of her story. Thank you so much for listening. This past week was the show's fourth anniversary. Can you believe that? Time has flown. But I do feel like the podcast has come a long way. So whether you're a longtime listener or new to the podcast, thanks a lot for tuning in. And if you like the show, please subscribe. You know, I try to make it bi-weekly, but of course, that's not always the case. So subscribing is the easiest way to know when there's a new episode. And if you really like the podcast, feel free to give it a good review. That always helps out. So once again, thank you so much for listening and catch you all next time.